Chapter Eighteen of Grace Harlowe's Fourth Year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen: The Fairy Godmother's Visit. Three excited young women burst in upon Elfreda, who, seated on the floor before her trunk, hastily deposited a large flat package in the tray and slammed down the lid. Why didn't you knock? she grumbled, looking mild displeasure at the intruders. If you had come five minutes sooner, you would have seen your Christmas presents, and I couldn't have stopped you. I'm going to have a busy keep-out sign made to hang on the door until Christmas. Don't be cross, J. Elfreda Briggs, laughed Grace. We have something nice to show you. She handed the telegram to Elfreda with, We want you to go to the station with us this afternoon. The train is due at 5.30. Elfreda's round face flushed at this mark of thoughtfulness on the part of the girls she adored and agreed almost shyly to make one of the party. She had never become quite used to the knowledge that these three young women had long since accepted her as one of their number. Consequently, an invitation to participate in their personal good times or to share their intimate friends was always a matter of wonder to her. The train was reported to be on time, but the quartet of happy-faced young women who waited impatiently for its arrival from the north that afternoon were agreed that it must be late. It was Anne who, when it rushed into the station, first espied the familiar figure of the snowy-haired old lady who had brought so much sunshine into her life, and her quick eyes also discovered the identity of the tall, broad-shouldered young man who was helping her down the car steps. "'Oh, Tom Gray's with her!' she exclaimed in delight. "'How nice!' cried Grace with frank, unembarrassed pleasure. "'I never thought that he would come with Mrs. Gray.' Her three friends exchanged significant glances. It was quite evident that Grace Harlowe's regard for Tom held nothing of the sentimental. "'Here they are. Here are my dear Christmas children.' Mrs. Gray looked no older than when she had welcomed them to her house-party eight Christmases before. She spoke in the same sprightly manner and smiled in the same kindly gentle fashion that had warmed the hearts of Anne Pearson when, poor and unknown, she had placed her hand in Mrs. Gray's at that first eventful freshman tea, which was the beginning of happiness for her. Anne's brown eyes filled with tears as she embraced her fairy godmother and heard her murmur, My own dear Anne, please give Aunt Rose a chance to catch her breath and turn your attention upon me, was Tom's plaintive plea. We're terribly, horribly, dreadfully glad to see you, laughed Grace, shaking Tom's hand in her boyish, energetic fashion. Terribly, horribly, dreadfully, repeated Tom. Did you say this was your last year in college? Don't be sarcastic, reproved Miriam. Circumstances alter English. Grace was only trying to convey to you our deep appreciation of your arrival. Tom glanced almost wistfully at Grace, who had turned from him and was devoting her whole attention to Mrs. Gray. I hope you girls are as glad to see me as I am to see you, he said, his eyes still upon Grace. Of course we are. How did you happen to think of coming to Overton? Are you going to stay until next Wednesday? If you do, then we can journey to Oakdale together. Ask Aunt Rose. I am her faithful bodyguard. I know she intends to stay until tomorrow, at least. 
I hope you can persuade her to remain at Overton until you go home. I am a working man, you know, and Washington is a long way from here. Tom's ambition to make forestry his life had been a measure realized, and with his graduation from college had came the offer of a position in the Department of Forestry at Washington. Yes, children, dear, I will remain in Overton until your vacation begins if the town boasts of a comfortable hotel where I can not only demand but receive good service. The terrain is the very hotel for you, Mrs. Gray, said Grace. We stayed there for a day or two when we first came to Overton. The service is excellent. Then see to my luggage, Tom, and find me a cab or an automobile. The sooner I am settled, the sooner I can hear what my girls have been doing. I have heard very nice things of you, my dear, she said to Elfrida, who, having shaken hands with Mrs. Gray, stood on the outer edge of the little group, looking on with shining eyes. She looks like a piece of Dresden china was Elfrida's remarkable statement to Miriam as the little company, headed by Grace and Tom, made its way to the other side of the station in search of an automobile. "'You funny girl,' Miriam laughed softly. "'What an idea!' "'But she does,' persisted Elfrida in a low tone. "'She's white and pink and fine and—and and fragile. She's dainty and exquisite, and there's a kind of rare china look about her that—' "'I'm going to tell her that you said she looked like a piece of Dresden china,' interposed Miriam. "'Mrs. Gray?' "'If you do, Miriam Nesbit, you'll be sorry,' warned Elfrida, clutching Miriam's arm. "'What is it, my dear?' answered the old lady. They had come to a halt at the end of the platform, and were waiting for Tom to secure a car. Elfrida surveyed Miriam with a threatening glare. "'Elfrida says that you—' She darted a mischievous glance at her friend. Looked just as she imagined you would. Elfrida's expression was a mixture of surprise and relief. Then you were not disappointed in me, smiled the old lady. I should say not, was the quick response. I only hope you will adopt me some day as one of your own children. That is very sweet in you, my child, declared Mrs. Gray. I hereby adopt you on the spot. Ah, here's our car. I think we are more than ready for it. Now that you've been adopted, muttered Miriam in Elfrida's ear, I won't betray you. Thanks for nothing, flung back Elfrida. Tell the chauffeur to drive past Overton College, Grace had requested Tom, and Mrs. Gray had exclaimed in admiration of stately Overton Hall, standing like a sentinel in the midst of the wide campus. The chapel, the library, Greek hall, science hall, in fact each one of the smaller but equally ornamental buildings were duly pointed out and commented upon. Mrs. Gray insisted that they should be her guests at dinner at the terrain, and after dinner they repaired to the cosy sitting-room in her suite of rooms for a long confidential chat, which lasted until after ten o'clock. "'Hurry, girls!' urged Grace as they set out for Wayne Hall, after repeated promises to call the next morning, and prolonged good nights. We may be locked out. That has never happened to me since I came to college. That is better than being locked in, reminded Elfrida grimly. You mean the night of the ghost party, don't you? asked Miriam, referring to an incident that had occurred in Elfrida's freshman year. I do indeed mean the ghost party, retorted Elfrida with a grim emphasis. I still have a remarkably clear recollection of it. What a lot of things have happened since then, 
said Anne, half musingly. Only a little while and our college life will be over, sighed Miriam. And our real life begun, was Grace's hopeful reminder. After all, college is just a preparation for the time when we must stand upon our own ground and assume the complete responsibility of our own lives. You girls give me the blues, grumbled Elfreda. I don't want to think about my real life or any other solemn old object. There's a time to reflect, but this isn't the time. I'd rather save my harrowing reflections until just before commencement. Then we might give a misery party and invite our friends to glower and gloom with us. That's a good idea, exclaimed Grace. We could all be miserable together. If we all met together for the express purpose of being miserable, you can make up your mind that the party itself will defeat its object, laughed Anne. But just at present we'd better be gay and gleeful. We must plan something for Mrs. Gray's entertainment, suggested Miriam. It is our lawful senior duty to see that she enjoys her visit to Overton. She wishes to meet Dr. Morton and Miss Wilder and Miss Duncan, too, said Anne. She mentioned it twice this evening. We must give a dinner in honour of her at Finton's and a luncheon at Martell's. Then we ought to drive out to Guest House for supper. Of course we must give one spread in either our room or Miriam's and do stunts. Why not give the Wonderland Circus just for her? proposed Elfreda. Miss Wilder will let us have the gymnasium for the evening, and by making it strictly a senior class affair, there will be no hurt feelings on the part of the other classes. Nearly all the performers are seniors, too. We can serve refreshments, have a dance afterward, and Mrs. Gray will have a splendid opportunity to see nineteen-something together. How is that for a stunt? Elfreda's plan was received with acclamation, and by the time they reached Wayne Hall, each girl had been assigned her part in the week's programme. "'We mustn't forget our Christmas girls,' reminded Anne, as they lingered for a brief moment in the upstairs hall. "'I'm glad you mentioned them,' replied Grace. "'I must see Arlene tomorrow.' The first week of December had dragged, but the next two weeks raced by on winged feet, and the two days before college closed for the holidays were crowded to the brim with last duties and pleasures. Mrs. Gray won the united regard of the Semper Fidelis Club, who immediately enlisted themselves in her service. The genial, light-hearted old lady entered into the life of the college with an enthusiasm that caused her at once to be declared an honorary member of the Semper Fidelis. She was the guest of honor at luncheons and dinners, which she was toasted, and sung to with a fervour that left no doubt in her mind as to her standing with Grace's classmates. The Wonderland Circus had been served as the crowning event of her visit, and invitations had been sent to Mr. Thomas Redfield, the benefactor of Semper Fidelis Club, Dr. Morton, Miss Wilder, and the various members of the faculty to be present at the circus. Never had the immortal animals been in better form. Round after round of applause greeted the conclusion of their famous Wonderland song. The demonstration continued until Alice stepped forward and made a funny little speech in which she introduced the animals who skipped, waddled, or shuffled forward according to each one's conception of what its own peculiar gait should be. Emma Dean, who had not taken part in the circus, appeared in her ridiculous sphinx costume, and after a monologue that elicited constant laughter, added to her ability as a fun-maker by the weirdly funny dance that she had intended to give at the bazaar, and which she was obliged to repeat before her audience was satisfied. 
A reception followed, and delicious buffet refreshments were served by the seniors in one corner of the big gymnasium, which had been roped off with the senior colors and made as attractive as senior hands could make it. Mrs. Gray was in her element and held court like a veritable queen. Before the evening was over, the senior class, to a member, had vowed eternal allegiance to her. Dr. Morton, Miss Wilder, and Mr. Redfield, too, apparently succumbed to her spell, for toward the close of the evening they formed an interesting group about her, at the end of a lengthy confab, shook her hand with an earnestness which seemed almost too indicate, a promise of loyalty. To Grace, Anne, and Miriam, Mrs. Gray's long conversation with the faculty was merely a further proof of her ability to make friends, but the watchful Elfreda regarded the matter from a different viewpoint. I wonder what Mrs. Gray was talking about to Professor Morton, Miss Wilder, and our fairy godfather, she remarked in a speculative tone to Miriam as they prepared to sleep late that night. Fairy godfather is a good name for Mr. Redfield, isn't it? she laughed. Certainly it is, returned Miriam. I always bestow appropriate names upon people. Isn't he the fairy godfather of Semper Fidelis, and didn't I give him that name after he sent us the first check? He is, admitted Elfreda. And you did. What's on your mind now? asked Miriam. What do you find so mysterious in the fact that Mrs. Gray held discourse with the powers that be? You can make fun of me if you like, said Elfreda, smiling a little. But I know what I saw with my own eyes. There is a conspiracy on foot among those persons. It's a delightful conspiracy, of course, but mark my words, they are planning something. And some day when the whole thing comes to light, you'll say, You are right, J. Elfreda. See if you won't. I will say it now if you wish me to, laughed Miriam, merely to show you that I have faith in your marvellous powers of observation. Thank you, returned Elfreda. There's nothing like being appreciated. But under the circumstances, I am afraid I can't pursue my usual methods of investigation. If Mrs. Gray is planning something delightful, you may be sure it is for her Christmas children, and J. Elfreda Briggs will not be the one to pry into the surprise. End of chapter 18